Welcome to the Hellraiser Podcast. Hi there, and welcome to episode 22 of the Hellraiser Podcast. I'm Peter, and this is Phil. Hello, everyone. And today we're going to be talking about two films that Clive Barker was involved in before he made Hellraiser. The films are Rawhead Rex and Underworld, also known as Transmutations in the States. But before we get into those, we just want to say thank you all for your lovely, kind messages and thoughts about Piercing the Veil, the radio play that we did and we put up last time. We were very pleased with it, and it seems to have gone down very well in the fan community, so we're very pleased about that. Yeah, it's brilliant. And uh, any more comments or queries or anything like that you've got about it, uh, let us know through the usual channels, because it's great to hear. And that's what will motivate us to do more. Well, yeah, exactly. The more more good comments we get, the more we think (laughs) that people want to hear it, then the more we'll do. So we're very glad that you seem to have liked it. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. So let's move on to these two films we're talking about today which are technically not really anything to do with Hellraiser per se, but they are both very, very important films. Well... Well, no, let me finish. <laughs> They're both very important films in regards to the first Hellraiser film, because yeah. it is because of these two films that Clive Barker decided to write and direct Hellraiser. Yeah, because you wouldn't want people to take what you said before as like a poster quote. <laughs> Hellraiser no. podcast says, no. very important film. <laughs> this is the very important films episode. <laughs> these are, these are, yeah. You, well, you're going to see what we think about these films, but um, yeah, very important in getting Hellraiser made. Yeah. So basically, Clive Barker wrote these two films originally. We'll get into some more detail about that in a moment. But he was nothing to do with the actual filmmaking. He didn't direct them. They were both directed by a man called George Pavlou. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Well, apologies if we got it wrong. P-A-V-L-O-U. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with Pavlou. All right, then. Thanks. <laughs> so basically, Clive Barker... That's what Clive me- Barker said. <laughs> what, I'm going to go with Pavlou? I'm going to go with Pavlou for these projects. Yeah. Yeah. And then he regretted it. Big mistake. So apparently, Clive Barker met George Pavlou at a dinner party in 1982, and Pavlou was a director but hadn't made any films yet, but wanted to make a film, so asked Clive Barker to write him a synopsis, which he did and would eventually become the film Underworld, or Transmutations, if you're listening to this over the pond. Mm. So in terms of themes, it is quite similar to Nightbreed in a couple of ways. It's to do with an underground society of monsters, basically, that live under the city. But that's kind of where the uh, similarities to Nightbreed end. Mm. It's a, you can see, I mean, you can see the Clive Barker themes here yeah in this film yeah. not in the film actually but no, you, in, in the in the central idea <laughs> in the central idea you've got that clive barker nurse yeah and his idea was originally gangsters versus mutants hmm. that's the idea it's sort of a gangster film but it has these mutants and these monsters as well well when you you first showed me this film peter mm. you told me what it was about you said that basically and i thought wow and you said it's not very good <laughs> and I thought, oh, but that's a good idea. Yeah, no, I want to step in now. Everyone listening to this podcast who's thinking, that sounds quite good. It, it's not. It's really not. This is a really very bad film. Do not make the mistake that I did and watch this film. <laughs> and even though we're going to talk about how bad it is, there'll still be people listening who, who are like, it can't be that bad. I'm going to, I'm going to watch it. Yeah, and don't we, take honestly, that we're a... gonna we're gonna say no. Please don't. Yeah, do, do not take that for one of those things of like, whoa, you can't take it. You can't take how bad it is because it's just rubbish. And it's not even so bad. It's good. No, it's just rubbish. It's rubbish and it's boring. Boring. 
when we get to Rawhead Rex, that one has has stuff in it that is so bad is good and it's fun to watch and you can laugh at it. Yeah, I but, did have a good time watching that. But Underworld is is really dull. So Clive Barker wrote the screenplay, but then it was taken away from him. Well, apparently, first of all, they had to start filming even before there was a finished script because of funding reasons. Mm. They could only get the funding if they started shooting immediately. And then he was on set to start with, apparently, to help rewrite as it went on. Mm. But then he got replaced by another writer called James Kaplan, who apparently replaced half of Clive Barker's dialogue. And you can see which bits I would have said when you watch the film. Don't watch the film. But if you do, there's some really bad dialogue, like really bad gangster dialogue. And it's set in London. We didn't have to that ready. So it's set in London. It's a British gangster film. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the, you, you, with the dialogue, you can barely see any... You can just about see certain turns of phrase that might be from Clive Barker or certain ideas that might be from Clive Barker mm. that are vaguely interesting, but the rest of it is just The most um, of it is just, trash. hello there, what are you doing over here? Where are you over? I'm going to get you. You're not going to get me. I am. All right, then. I'm going to bang you up <laughs> with my gun. Bang, bang. Wait. <laughs> um, so... Yeah. The plot revolves around this drug called the White Man Drug that's been made by a doctor, Dr. Savory, who is played by Denham Elliott. Who the late... You, the late? Denham Elliott. The late, great Denham Elliott, who mm-hmm. you probably know best as Marcus from the Indiana Jones films. Mm. That's who he is to me. And at this point, I want to say this. This has got a cracking cast. Oh my God, yeah. None of them are any good in this film. <laughs> Pretty much. It, it goes to show that you can work with some brilliant people, but hey. But you've got Denham Elliott playing the, the doctor, the mad doctor. You've got Stephen Burkoff playing the main baddie, mm. Mother Skill. Is it Hugo Mother Skill? Hugo Mother Skill. Hugo Mother Skill. The lead character, Roy Bain, is played by Larry Lamb. Larry Lamb. Most of you might not know who he is. Those Brits might recognise him as Gavin's dad in the sitcom Gavin and Stacey. <laughs> well, no, he was really good in that. Okay. Um, but he's not hes not very famous, I don't think, over here. He's got a good name, though. So He's got a wonderful name. But he's rubbish in this film as well. Art Malik, you might recognise. You might know him from other things. He's normally pretty good, but he's not in this. Mm-hmm. And, what, and one of the... Ingrid Pitt? Ingrid... Is she in it? <laughs> yeah. I didn't even recognise her. Pepperdine. Is she? Ah, Ingrid Pitt, who did a lot of Hammer stuff. Hammer horror stuff. Mm. Miranda Richardson? Yeah, that's what I was going to mention. Miranda Richardson, who you what? you should know who she is. She was um, she played Queen Elizabeth I in Blackadder 2, and she's in the film, the David Cronenberg film Spider, with Ray Fiennes and Gabriel Byrne. Mm. And she is excellent. She's such a good actress. But again, she's not very good in this. Everyone's really hammy. And I don't think... I mean, it must be to do with the directing. It is. It's got to be. I mean, it it it, it is to do with that. As I was saying before, you can work with some brilliant people, but if the people are not getting the right direction, if you know the project is just not working, if the dialogue they've been given is rubbish, it, the scenes are rubbish. You know, the, you can't polish a bad turd. Bad, <laughs> bad turd. So it looks bad as well. Let's say that now. It looks really cheap. I mean, it was cheap, wasn't it? Well, it was. Well, it was on. No, it was made for under a million. I think it said. I don't know how much under a million, just under a million. That's how much Hellraiser cost, just under a million, a couple yeah. of years later. So look what you can do if you do it properly. All right. No, <laughs> this is not acceptable. Because <laughs> I remember I talking in our, our Bloodline podcast about how I thought it looked bad and it mm. looked like a TV movie and all this. 
that looked like bloody David Fincher film compared to this. Yeah, this looks a lot like some... It looks like, for some reason, you know a lot of very well-respected celebrity actors and you've got together with them in your garage and you created a little film. Yeah, and you had two lights, one with a green gel and one with a red gel on it, and you just pointed them at everyone. (laughs) And you've got a little video camera. little video camera, and you've made up... You've got a, a good story from someone who's amazing and you've got someone else coming to change it. Yeah. And the rest of it's made up as it goes along. So the main plot is to do with a girl called Nicole, who is a prostitute. And she used to go out with Roy Bain, the main character, played by Larry Lamb. He's got a good name, hasn't he? In Larry <laughs> Lamb and then Roy Bain. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Roy Bain. <laughs> what? I'm Roy Bain. I'm Roy Bain. Yeah. I'm going to find Nicole. I'm going to get her back. Yeah. Um, so Stephen Burkhoff's character, Motherskill, Hugo Motherskill, hires Roy Bain to find Nicole because he knows that he used to go out with her and they were a bit of an item. And he goes off and finds her and she's been kidnapped by these mutants, basically, who live in the sewers under the city. Yeah. I mean, there's there's all these different things that lead up to this. I mean, when they go to Roy Bain, he's painting, isn't he? In yeah. His house, <laughs> yeah. Showing he's like a Renaissance man, you know, he's he used to be... Hired killer, but now he's now he's a nice gentleman nice who wears gentleman. little waistcoats. And they've got these two sort of underworld enforcers who yeah. come to talk to him. Yeah, who wear dark glasses they even wear... when they're like in the sewers. Yeah. <laughs> but there were there was something in those two characters that I thought was a Clive, was interesting. Clive Barker, yeah, influence. You yes, know, of of two thugs who aren't. They've got something about them. Mm. It doesn't come across in the film. And they could be anything. They're really unknowable. Yeah. It doesn't come across in the film at all, but I thought, no. oh, there's something in there that Clive Barker wrote about two guys who turn up who are a bit creepy and yeah. a bit cool. Yeah. Um, but uh, we'll just say at this point, Stephen Burkoff is hamming it up like a trooper as well. He's, he's completely over the top, which he often is in films. But this is craziness. At least he's enjoying himself, though. Yeah, he's him he's, and Denham are the only people that are having fun. Everyone else looks like they're as bored as the audience is. Yeah, yeah. It just, yeah, Burkhoff, you can see him as an actor going, well, I'm getting paid. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, Roy. Roy. I've got a job for you, Roy. Oh, I'm a creepy gangster, Roy. <laughs> we, should, we should do a recreation of it. We should, actually, yeah. <laughs> that could be our next project. <laughs> But speaking of him, there's a, there's a scene in the beginning where they're in a club and there's some very homoerotic dancing going on. Yeah. <laughs> and that's probably the Clive Barker influence there. Yeah, well, that's the thing. You know, he probably wrote something like there's a, a dance going on, mm. you know, on the, cl- on the stage. It's sleazy. It's guys wearing leather. It's girls yeah. doing this. You know, that kind of Clive Barker thing. And mm. it was translated in the film into this rubbish scene in an empty club. Yeah, with some and very embarrassed dancers. Mother Skill says that was rubbish. Get out! And the character he's talking to at this point, a character with dark glasses on, who he's having a go at because of this club. He is played by Sean Chapman. Who yeah, plays Frank in Hellraiser and Hellraiser Two. Yeah, so that's a little Hellraiser connection to you. There, there you go, Sean Chapman. Before he briefly uh, got, got in Hellraiser, one or two lines here. Mm-hmm. So it turns out that Nicole has been kidnapped because she is she's kind of immune to this drug, isn't she? She's yeah. got some special powers. You see, yeah, I mean, it's a very... It's confusing. It's a bit but muggy here. She, she's sort of a prostitute who you can be with her and then she'll show you your dreams or something like that. It's just, yeah. <laughs> she's immune to this drug. She doesn't turn into a freak. 
and talking about the drug and what the drug does to people, the creatures, the mutants who live down in the sewers, they're all sort of disfigured and deformed and they've got basically just bits, extra bits on their heads, they've lumpy heads. It looks like if you, you know, if you've got like an egg box, a grey egg box, yeah. and you cut bit, the egg bu- bits out mm-hmm. and then you would just sellotape them, them to your face. <laughs> it looks like that. Yeah. There's one bit I thought was quite interesting where they find a video diary of one of the drug addicts who's been exposed to this drug and it shows him over a period of time getting worse and worse and mm. becoming deformed. That bit was quite interesting. Yeah. Well, like I say, the idea is interesting. The idea of um, people being given this drug that, that somehow opens up your consciousness and it, ha- it has these horrible side effects mm. and they want to get out of it. That's cool. Yeah. But we cannot emphasise enough how bad this film is. Yeah. Yeah. It's awful. It commits the ultimate sin of being... Really boring. Really boring. Really, but I mean, the first time I watched it, I fell asleep for a bit of it, and I thought, well, this is this isn't on. You know, I've got to, this is I'm doing this for the I'm doing this for the podcast as well, so I'm going to watch this properly. So that's when we watched it together. But it got to the stage where about an hour in, we were both going, oh my god, can we turn this off? Like, mm. no, we can't. We have to watch it. We have to watch it for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and we subjected ourselves to it so that you, lovely listeners, don't have to. I mean, everyone was up in arms about what we said about Hell World, weren't they? <laughs> so, can you imagine what we think of this film? Yeah. <laughs> we couldn't even sit and watch it. I know, Jesus. We watched it, though, guys. We watched it all. Well, I've seen it most of it twice. <laughs> there you go. For you lovely listeners. Um, so we watched it, so you don't have to. We said that before. Yeah. And we'll <laughs> say it again. <laughs> so, at the end, um, Mother Skill sort of comes along to try and kill everyone, doesn't he? Yeah, there's been some sort of backwards and forwards. And again, this is a little bit like Nightbreed as well. They a big army of people turn up to try and kill all the mutants. Yeah, all the gangsters turn up or soldiers and they start shooting them and they kill them all. Yeah. Nicole survives though. Nicole survives, yeah. Does Roy Bain survive? Do you know what? I can't even remember the end now. It's that <laughs> it was so busy going, Come on, can we turn it off? Can we turn it off? Yeah. It's it's just uh yeah. I don't I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> um right. Let's move on, actually, shall we? Ah, uh, it's sad. It I is do, sad. I do feel sorry for all the people who worked on it, because obviously yeah, you don't work point. on things to, for them to be bad. No. But unfortunately, in this case, it's, a, for me, a really good example of what I expect was probably a, a quite a good script from Mr. Barker. Yeah. Being messed about with, with people who don't know what they're doing. And I agree, yeah. And the, the, the fact that it looks awful and the acting is bad, that is... Mostly to do with the director, I would have said. Yeah. so Because gonna... we know these actors can act. And we know that Clive Barker can write. So, bad, bad filmmaker. <laughs> yes. So, yes. Apologies so... for the thrashing we've given your film, but it's not a good one. The podcast. You downloaded it. We came. So, that film was released in 1985... To very little fanfare, hardly any promotional material, and it sunk without a trace. And Clive Barker has since said he hates it and thinks it's rubbish. And he's right. <laughs> he is right. The year but, after... Uh, hey, no, gone. before we go on... Oh, yes, right. Imagine that for Clive Barker. I know, this is his, this is his first foray into films at all. It, oh, and he yeah. writes a script, he's probably really happy with it, he thinks, this is interesting, this has got some of my stuff in it. And then he goes and sees it, and he thinks, what the fuck have you done if I watched that film and I'd been in any way involved in it I would be very embarrassed mm. and do they sometimes now put on the DVD like Clive Barker's Underworld 
Probably, yeah. Oh. From the mind of Clive Barker, from the mind of Clive Hellraiser Barker, probably. God. From the bin of Clive Barker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless him. I feel really sorry for, for Clive with this film. Yeah. Well, and the next one. Yeah. Which we'll go into now. A year after this, 1986, another film came out written by Clive Barker called Rawhead Rex. Mm. Now, those of you who are familiar with the Books of Blood will know that Rawhead Rex is a short story from the Books of Blood, mm. and it is brilliant. Amazing. Really, really good story. Oh, I love it so much. So this was produced by a company called Green Man, who they did Underworld, boo, mm. and then they also decided to do Rawhead Rex, mm. and they bought the rights off Clive Barker and got him to write the screenplay. There are some differences in the story and the finished film the main mm. difference is the story is set in kent southeast england and the film is set in ireland mm. and the main character is an american in the film he's an american who's come to live in ireland with his family because that's where his ancestors are from whereas in the story he's just a londoner who's gone a bit down <laughs> the country to kent yeah i mean that's the first change i would say that i don't think was necessary well i mean i can see why they did it well for apparently the, they the film they did it for well for funding reasons yeah, i'm yeah. told so I, I guess that they had to have said it in ireland absolutely see why they did that mm. but um in the book i really like the whole beginning of the book is talking about how this town of um zeal zeal yeah. is um being overtaken by the kind of city people you know, the day trippers. Yeah. Yeah. And this guy is one of those people. You know, he lives in the city, but he wants to come and live there. And uh, they're just taking over the whole place very, very slowly. Yeah. And I like that idea. So the main plot of Rawhead Rex, which is the same in story and film, is there's this creature who's been around for hundreds of years. Thousands. Thousands, yeah. He's a sort of godlike creature. He's called Rawhead or Rawhead Rex. And he's basically a hideous monster, twice the size of a human, and he likes to kill people and eat them. Well, I mean, this... He's a hideous, hideous monster. It's just the best idea ever. <laughs> Isn't it? It, it, it? It's a gun. It's really like um, one of those Clive Barker things of you don't know why this thing exists, where it's come from. Mm. But it's so fantastic that it just turns up, and it is... In the book, you get to see what he thinks. You know, you get to hear what he thinks. You get to see what Rawhead is actually planning. Yeah, yeah. And it's amazing. He's like, I am the king. This world is mine. I was here before all of you. And I'm going to have it again. Absolutely. It's just, it's just so good. <clears throat> and yeah, you're right. That's the wonderful thing about the book. Um, well, the, the story is it goes... From Rawhead's point of view every now and again. Mm. And his thoughts and him trying to work out what... Because he's been under the... We haven't said this yet, but he's been trapped under the ground for hundreds of years by people who knew what he was and trapped him in a... Buried him alive, basically, with a massive stone covering him. And the beginning of the film and the story start with someone accidentally dislodging this stone and that's what releases him into the world. And it's wonderful in the story because you've got him, you know, looking at cars and trying to work out what they are. And yeah, he thinks they're like animals, doesn't he? he yeah, he like refers to yeah, yeah. And then he finds one of them crashes and the petrol's coming out, and he thinks of it as its blood, and then works out that you can set it on fire. Mm. But we're and, getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's amazing this co this whole concept of you know so long ago people vanquished this monster, 
managed to bury it alive and it's literally been there under the ground under this stone alive mm. in the book they talk about spiders digging into his flesh and him yeah. thinking I wish I could get them you know yeah, oh. and he can't get rid and of them. he's just been there for hundreds and hundreds of years under the ground wow that's fantastic yeah and at this point I'm going to say the the screenplay for the film isn't too bad there are a couple of iffy lines and again apparently things were changed without Clive Barker's knowledge on set but the basic premise and the basic story is pretty much taken from the the book and it's pretty good. Yeah. However, first of all, it doesn't... It looks bad. Again, like Underworld, it doesn't look good. There's some bad lighting. There's some very bad acting. The main problem with the film, as anyone who's seen it or seen any clips of it will know, is the creature design of Rawhead Rex. Oh, my good God. It is awful. Stunningly bad. In the story, he's he's a giant person. He's twice the size of a human. He's like he's nine got, feet tall. Yeah, he's got his hands are three times as big as a person, mm. and he's got this huge, big mouth that's he's on his massive head, and his teeth come out of his gums like a cat's claws, and he's just terrifying. Mm. In the film, it's some guy, a big guy, wearing a really bad mask. It's astonishingly bad. I mean, it's eyes. The thing is, in the story, there is a, a oh, lot yeah. of mention made of towards his eyes. eyes being hypnotic, like as if there is. He has actually got some power over people. Yeah, people when they see him, they do actually feel so in awe that his he eyes look like could rule you. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that like you are nothing to him. He almost hypnotizes you. In the film, <laughs> he's got these two eyes. They are almost cross-eyed. Yeah, he is. Does look and they glow red like a kind of and they kind of spit then they a bit. Yeah, and they look for something so important. If he if he just had black holes in his head, it would be better than these horrible little red eyes that just look stupid. But it's not just the eyes that are awful. No, no, it's the whole face, the whole shebang. I mean, look at that. I'm just showing Phil a picture of it now. I forgot how bad it was. (laughs) It looks like it's sort of a a gorilla crossed with, I suppose, the mouth of a wolf kind of thing. It's got a bit of a snout coming through. It's just the the eyes I can't get over. No, the eyes are ridiculous. But you've got this big teeth. But, I mean, we're describing it. If you haven't seen it, it might sound quite good. But it's just the mask doesn't really move. It's The mouth is pretty much in this fixed position, open mouth with teeth. And it doesn't move. It just sort of... It's always fixed. And the problem, it could work if you just saw it really briefly around again. But he makes the mistake of showing it in close-up for quite a while. Yeah, there's a lot of scenes where you can just see it's this dude in a suit. In with a, a big, big monkey man suit. Rubber mask on. Um, which brings me to sort of think, you know, why make this film? Because I guess they thought it's a very simple plot. Yeah. Um, and we can just have a guy in a suit doing it yeah need just a scary face that'll scare the kids but god you know you've got to get that right but because this the whole in... thing hinges on the character this is 1986 so freddy krueger is in the world people know about him you've got jason has been five jason films and so he's a scary character who exists it's not even in the world of every horror villain looks awful at this time so it doesn't matter mm. and the year after you've got Hellraiser so that's what you can do with makeup if you do it properly astonishing 
It is awful. I mean, this is a as we said earlier on, this one you can watch if you've got a group of people together and you've got a few drinks. You will just laugh at this film and you'll have yeah. a good time. And if you want, as we said before, check it out on YouTube. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Check out the trailer. And if you if you can't even be bothered to do that, look at some images of Roy Ed Rex on the yeah. internet. Yeah, it's it's dreadfully bad. It is, and it's the story is brilliant because as we said it's. It's a powerful story. It's a, mm. it's a it's a Clive Barker story. I love it because it's about this creature comes from somewhere you don't know where. He's he and he just goes mental. Yeah, he will do the things that you cannot believe. He will pick up a little girl and eat her in front of her mum. And this is one thing that's amazing about the books of blood. There's no taboos left oh, unturned. Man. He doesn't care. I mean, he's going for your visceral scary moments oh, and it's 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 so good isn't it he, yeah because he likes the taste of child meat the best yeah yeah so he just eats the kids i mean it's just when he i mean we're not going to talk about the plot of this in order but i mean but basically when he pulls the main character's son out of yeah. the car yeah in the book he's pulling this kid out and this kid's just completely in terror and the dad just watches as rawhead puts the kid's head into his mouth. Yeah. The kid vomits down Rawhead's throat as in he, fear. As he bites his bite, he bites the top of his, his head, head off. It's amazing. And you're like, wow, that's unbelievable. And in the film, you've got this big gorilla man going, Ugh, grabbing the kid and running away. And it's also because he is a force of nature, yeah. Rawhead. And, and when he comes into an area, he does... You know, he smashes doors open, smashes windows, you know, rips walls down. And in the film, this this could <laughs> only be achieved in these really bad ways with him, like, in this, you know, he breaks into a farmer's kitchen and yeah. just starts throwing pasta on he the floor. He spends ages <laughs> trashing this kitchen, <laughs> just pushing things over and breaking tables and, yeah, he's just like throwing pasta chucking around. biscuits on the floor and, you know, going, and it, it's it looks rubbish. And in the book... When I read it, I really got that sense of, like, how would you feel? You know, you're walking along with your girlfriend or whatever, mm. and suddenly she's just grabbed hold, and you just see this huge creature just rips her face off in front yeah. of you. And you, what do you, what, you, you know, what can you do? Mm-hmm. What would you do? It, it, that really comes across in the book. It's astonishing. Uh, but in the film, not so much. No. So one thing we need to talk about, is possibly the most famous scene from Rawhead Rex that is in the book and the film, <laughs> where he basically, he's hypnotised, if that's the word you want to use, this member of the clergy. What is he described as? He's a verger, isn't he? He's a verger, is he? Yeah. Mm. Called Declan. Declan. And uh, he's, uh, he, Declan's gone mad. And basically Rawhead's put into his head that if he helps him, he can have lots of power and all this. Well, it's, I don't even know if it's that. I think in the book he... He just suddenly realizes that this is God. Yeah, this yes. creature is not vague, like mm. the Christian God. Mm-hmm. You don't have to think, "What does he want from me?" He's right there, and he's so in awe of it. He just his mind just completely snaps, and he's like, yeah. "This is God. This is my God." Yeah, he's been here before all of us. He's been here before Jesus, apparently. You know. Yeah, and uh, so that's even more horrible, isn't it? Really. But what does he? What does he do, Peter? <laughs> well, there's uh, the reverend who's sort of his boss. He is in the graveyard, sort of snooping around because he hears something, and he he sees this guy Declan being baptized by Rawhead. All right, yeah. And when I say that, I mean he sees Rawhead. 
pissing all over Declan. Yes. And in the film, you see Declan on his knees and Rawhead pisses all over his chest. Mm. In the in the book, it's even worse because he's pissing all over his face. Yeah. And Declan's kind of swallowing it. And, and he, dr- he he cups it in his hands yeah, and, and drinks, drinks it. <laughs> and he makes a great mention of how it stinks. And, oh, it really stinks, know, yeah. And it's just, oh my God goodness but in the film they show it it's, it's slightly in the distance because even you know this this is a bit much even for 1986 <laughs> but if you don't know the story and you're watching this film this comes completely out of left field you're like what's it doing oh my god is he gonna kill that man hang was it hang on was he is he mm-hmm. right okay yeah good yeah i mean that was one of the when i read when i first read this story i was really shocked at that point i was like wow <laughs> that is grotesque yeah. uh in a good way you know <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so this so the verger declan he has gone mad and he tries to get the reverend killed and the reverend runs into the church and rawhead gets him mm. this happens fairly early in the story sort of beginning to middle of the story and it happens quite late in the film because they use it as their big sort of climax the thing is, I, when I reread the story again, I felt that actually the story is a lot shorter and more to the point. Yeah, it like is. Like they have, yeah. they have extended a lot of the, shall we say, more tedious parts uh, and mm-hmm. kind of made them more tedious in the film uh, slightly. You know, I know that obviously they've got a, they've got a much longer story to tell in the film, but um, the, I was surprised when I Not reread really. the story. You could just if you could if you filmed exactly what was written in the story it would that would still be probably about an hour yeah long. i mean I, I would rather they had have done that because i think the story gets to the point a lot yeah. more but then the point in the story is rawhead in all of his glory and yes. in the film they were like we don't really want to show him that much because he but even that rubbish. bit we mentioned earlier on where he's going along and looking at these cars and working out what to do with them you could have they could have filmed that not very well, as if we're looking at the rest of Can it. Can you imagine the shot? The shot would have been on that stupid rubber face. Yeah, going, as he went... Yeah, look, cocking his head, looking back, and then just banging the car and it, some petrol coming out of it. I mean, there's... That wouldn't have made any sense. It would have been awful, wouldn't it? There's, you know, there's so many... I mean, in the book, he's described with this amazing athletic grace. Like, he's so big and powerful, he can run after you and just catch you within seconds. Pick up a grown man yeah. and just rip his face off and then smash him into the ground, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, all of this stuff, if I was reading the book, I'd be like, guys, we can't do any of this <laughs> in our film because <laughs> it's going to cost too much money. Mm-hmm. But they, they didn't. They just thought, well, we'll, do, we'll have a few more talking bits. We'll have bits. a go. We'll have a few more talking bits between, yeah. you know, the people and then, and then we'll have a quick shot of him running along. So the main character, the sort of fish-out-of-water character with his family... He's called Howard in the film, Howard Hallenbeck, played by the American actor David Dukes. And he's not bad. He's, he's given it his best. Mm. He's there's okay, a, isn't it? There's a nice bit at the beginning where he turns up. He's like um, trying to look into the history, isn't yes. he? Yes, he is. And he turns up at the church and he meets Declan before yeah, Declan. Who's already being lost. Weird. <laughs> yeah, Declan's a little pompous idiot who works in this church. And, you know, there's a nice sort of scene of him being uncomfortable with him turning up, you know, with the American turning up here in his little village and sort of being yeah. a bit rude to him. But he's already phoned forwards and spoken to the Reverend and he's arranged to meet him to talk about mm. the history of the parish yeah. and stuff. Yeah, it's just Declan being a, an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so he's called. He's not called Howard in the book. He's called Ron, isn't he, I think? I think so, yeah. And like we said earlier on, he's from London and not America. But he's the main character, and he's the one who, who works out how to defeat Rawhead in the end. 
well, he's kind of told really by the Reverend. Yeah, the Reverend. Something in the altar in the church. Mm. And the Reverend knows because he's felt it. Yeah, and Rawhead, I mean, in the book, Rawhead is like, there's that thing. Yeah, there's that thing. That thing that they subdued me with. Yeah. I don't want to go back near the altar Mm -hmm. where it is. And it turns out it's a stone tablet, an icon of a woman. Mm. A very, very much emphasising her womanly qualities, shall we say. And it turns out that Rawhead is kind of scared of women. Well, there's something really interesting here in the book, isn't there? Because, and in the film, I guess, because he won't kill women who are on their period. Yeah. And there's there's talk of uh, him and his brothers back in mm-hmm. the day having sex with women. Yeah, uh, and, and impregnating them, but then yeah. they all die while giving birth because you can't give birth to a hybrid yeah. mutant. So there is something there about, you know, that it, it is almost as if Rawhead represents maleness, you know, complete yeah. male... And the only, the only thing that can defeat him is a woman, or is or is female. Yeah, I mean, he is the act of destruction personified, yeah. isn't he? And they're, you know, they I don't know. Yeah. Bloody I'm, men. Men are so, such horrible idiots. <laughs> but yeah, that, that, that's what I took from it anyway. And so basically, Howard ends up getting this stone that is really powerful that depicts you know women womanhood and he goes outside and he's facing down rawhead with it and this is where it's slightly different in the book and the film in the book you've got loads of people from the village have come together as well and the stone has weakened rawhead and they all gang up on him and and beat him senseless yeah and he's also in his He's also tried to set the whole place on fire and burnt himself, hasn't he? Oh, he has, yeah, in the book. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's tra- the book. Sets the, he does actually set the whole village on fire. Yeah, he smashes all the cars. <laughs> but he burns himself and his eyes are burned out and filled with pus and mucus, aren't they? Yeah, because he can basically sort of regenerate, is what I got. He, yeah, you know, he, he doesn't he can really be... mind about all this burnt stuff yeah, he, he's got. He, he can be shot and he knows yeah. he will heal again. Um, but yeah, he's but this, quite badly burned. And this stone makes him weak and he ends up grabbing the lead character... Ron, I'm going to say, and kind of scalping him a bit with his claws. And then all of the villagers rush on him and beat him to the ground and he's quite damaged and then Ron smashes the stone on his head and kills him. Mm. And that's it. Yeah. The film, however, goes a bit more blatant about the whole female aspect of it because Howard can't defeat Rawhead on his own, but then Howard's wife turns up... Mm. picks up the stone and it gets very supernatural and sort of wispy light goes all around her and she becomes a bit of a special supernatural demon killer for a moment (laughs) and the light shoots into rawhead and kills him Mm. this is quite poor as well isn't it Mm. the graphics are quite bad here yeah and then they bury him in the film or does he fall no he falls through oh yeah he does he falls yeah a grave into a crypt so then right at the very end of the film he can sort of burst through the last shot again yeah he's coming back everyone classic hand. ready for a sequel <laughs> ready for a sequel you must be joking i'm not <laughs> i am not for some reason they never did a sequel i don't know why hmm maybe it's time for a reboot ah <gasps> maybe we should do it rawhead redux yeah <laughs> So that's kind of it, really. Now, I've got I've made some notes when I was watching the film with Phil recently, and the first note 
just says cheap. <laughs> and it really does look cheap. I mean, it looks it looks bad, doesn't it? Mm, it's not great. And again, I'm going to say this again. A year later, Clive Barker made Hellraiser, which had about half the budget of Rawhead Rex, apparently. But because of the choices he made and how he filmed it and the things he chose to spend money on, it looks... Well, you know what we think of Hellraiser. It's incredible. It's it's an almost perfect film. In my opinion, the best horror film ever made. And just the year before that, they made this other horror film with twice as much money, and it's one of the poorest horror films ever made. Mm. And the only reason that people still talk about it is because Clive Barker wrote it. If he hadn't written it, no one would know what this film was. No one would ever talk about it. And it would just be in the doldrums of <laughs> cinema history. Yeah, I would have never... Have watched it that's for sure yeah but it, what happened I think with Underworld and Rawhead Rex were brilliant for Clive because mm. you've got such a stark lesson there yeah you know when he went to direct Hellraiser obviously it's his first time and he's like whoa you know but he had a really good visual thing there of, of yeah. how a great idea can be messed up how things can Absolutely. look bad you know, so he he started quite well prepared in a way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And he would have gone out of his way to plan everything and make sure everything was going to look good. Mm, absolutely. So that's why we say these two films are really important in, in terms of Hellraiser. It's because of these two films that he thought, I'm not going to write for anyone else anymore. This is stupid. The people keep screwing up my work. So I'm going to do it myself and I'm going to direct a film. And he did. And, and thus... Hellraiser was born. And he's a true artist in every sense of the word. Yeah. You know, he's an actual artist. He, mm. He's someone who understands the visuals and he put that into Hellraiser. You know, the shots and the way it looked and the lighting yeah. and things like that. Uh, and that was painfully absent mm-hmm. in both of these films. Yeah. It was literally just, let's get the people in front of the camera, make sure you can see them, end. <laughs> So to sum up, Phil, what do you have to say about these films? Um, I'd say they both have brilliant ideas. One of them is based on an excellent uh, sort of short story, Mm -hmm. Books of Blood, that you should absolutely read. I love Rawhead Rex, the story. The film is amusing if you're all around drunk, (laughs) perhaps. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Uh, It is a good fun film to watch with a group of people. Yeah, and Underworld is just complete dross and should never be watched by anyone. And I feel very bad for the people involved in it. But hey, there you go. I completely agree with you. Yeah. So please don't go and watch Underworld because it it really is dull and tedious. But if you want, if if you if you're thinking, listen to these, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch these films because you know I'm I love Hellraiser and I want to know everything about it. Then do check out Rawhead Rex. It's it's okay. It's not it's not good, (laughs) but it is fun. If you can take it, don't take it seriously. Take it with a pinch of salt and just think what is that on the screen well for anybody who's interested in in making films you know or, or getting into anything yeah, like that i think it's a, it. it's a really good lesson because if you read read rawhead rex the story yeah then watch the film and then think what would what would you have done what would you know it's a great it's actually a it really good, a good and interesting exercise, exercise to yeah. see that and say well what how would you have filmed that scene what did you think about it when you first read it how would you have filmed it when you saw it you know how did they film it why did they do it that way yeah uh, so it's quite and why useful. the hell did they do it? Why the hell? Yeah, you'll never get to that Jesus. answer. You will never know. But hey, uh, it is quite useful in that respect. Yeah. 
This is Ashley Lawrence. You're listening to the Hellraiser podcast. So that's about it for our discussion about Underworld and Rawhead Rex. Hmm. Before we leave, I just want to mention something that we're going to be doing soon. This year is the 25th anniversary of Hellraiser, the first Hellraiser film, this September. So Phil and I are arranging something rather special for people to come to. Is it a Rawhead Rex party? Yes. Yay! We've got masks we're going to make. No, it isn't that. It is not that. No. What we're doing, we are organising a screening of Hellraiser and possibly Hellraiser 2 in a moving venue. (laughs) That's what I'm going to say for now. And while we're watching the film, we're going to be travelling up to North London to where the first film was filmed. The actual house the film was filmed in. We're not going to go in because someone lives there, but we're going to just go to it and have a look at it and show everyone the location and then come back down to London watching the rest of the film and possibly the second one as well. So it's basically a little gathering, a little party we're arranging. There'll be much more information about it on the website, our website, hellraiserpodcast.com. So that's where you want to go to look at it. We, It's limited to 50 places, so we are going to be selling tickets. It is free, It's going to be completely free. The screening is completely free. But for the hire of the vehicle and the driver and stuff like that, we are charging a very small amount. We're charging just £5 per person just to cover costs. So if you want to come along, go on the website and have a look at what you need to do. For the time being, it'll just involve emailing us and letting us know and we'll we'll sort out money from there. But it will be in London, so this is only for people who can get to London in September. The actual date will be on the on the website. Have a look at that. So if you want to come, let us know, because it, it will be first come, first served. So that's going to be very exciting. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. So you get to meet Phil and I in person. Ooh. There might be some special quizzes and prizes and things given out on the day. <laughs> but we're just going to have a party to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Hellraiser while watching it and seeing the original location where it was filmed. And you don't have to do anything. You just turn up, have fun, have some drinks, sit down, watch the film, look at the location and just have a wonderful time. Yeah. It's going to be good fun. So, yeah, go on the website, have a look at that, and drop us a line if you want to come along. So our next podcast, we're going to go back to Hellraiser. We're going to go back to Hellraiser Deader. Mm-hmm. Hellraiser 7, which is one of our favourite sequels. Mm. Well, from, you know, from it's, well, it's, it's the best straight-to-video sequel, straight-to-DVD, definitely. But it wasn't originally a Hellraiser story. It's a, it was a screenplay that was adapted into a Hellraiser story from an original screenplay, nothing to do with the mythos of Hellraiser. So what we're going to do is we're going to compare the original script to the finished film. A mm. bit like we did with the Bloodline one. Mm-hmm. It'll be like that, but it'll, but it's very different because it was this was nothing to do with Hellraiser at all to start with. So if you want to do it with us, then go to Cenobite.com, the Hellbound web, and go to their library, and they have got the scripts there. So that's where we'll be reading it from, the mm-hmm. Dota script. Yeah. And comparing it to the movie. Mm. So join us next time for that one. That will be episode 23. And we're trying to arrange it so that our 25th episode comes out on the 25th anniversary of the film. Yeah. Which will have something a little special for you planned for that as well. Yeah. Woo. Woo. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you all next time. Take care. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.